And today I, I kind of want to assume the role of a referee. And not necessarily me, but here's what I want you to consider. That the Word of God is very much like a referee in our lives. It gives us clarity as to what the boundaries are for this thing we call life. It clarifies how we win in this walk of faith. It gives us direction. It keeps us safe. It, it, it gives us the opportunity to endure for the long haul of the game. And the truth is that today what we have is the opportunity to dig into God's word and to let God's word begin to referee our wayward thoughts, to create boundaries for us that help us to, to operate with life the way it's meant to be, with purpose in his goodness. And so I want to encourage you today to lean in with me into God's word. Today we're going to start a brand new series titled House of Prayer. House of Prayer. You know, prayer is essential in the house of God. And I want you to, I want you to think about this because some of us, here's what you're thinking when, when you hear me say that. You're thinking about praying when we are here in this building. You're thinking about praying amongst people that are a part of the church. But I'm here to tell you that prayer is so much more than we think. It's so much more. And as we'll see shortly from uh, the life of Jesus, a house of prayer takes us beyond this house. It takes it into every area, every facet of our lives. You may not know this, maybe you do, but you have a house of prayer in the house you call your home. You have a house of prayer in your church here. You have a house of prayer in your workplace. You have a house of, of prayer in your circles of influence. You have a house of prayer that is available to you in your relationships, in the deepest parts within where you house your thoughts and your plans and your fears and your worries and your questions. And so as we begin this series, I want you to keep two things in mind. You are in a physical house of prayer here at Church at the Bridge. Everything that we do here, we lead with prayer. Every decision that's made, we lead with prayer. We pray for you daily. We pray over your homes. We pray over your thoughts. We pray over the purposes that God has for you. We pray over the blessing that God has already placed upon you. We pray for opportunities. You are surrounded with people in a house of prayer. Amen. Come on, we can give God some praise for that. And I'm, you know, I'm a benefactor of that too. Because your prayers, they matter. When you think about us, they matter. Listen, I thank God that I don't have horror stories. What I have, what I'm surrounded by is a people that love God, that love people, and that seek after God and pray for one another. So thank you for your heart, for prayer. But I also want to remind you that because this is the culture, this is the environment that we are in here at this church, I want to also encourage you to go deeper with your prayer life. And I want to make this statement to you that your prayer life isn't restricted to a place or time. Your prayers can be a part of any place that you choose to make room for prayer, for God's intervention. Anywhere that you desire to see the, the divine effect, the natural. And so today, as we begin this series... I want to invite you to dig in with me into the Word of God, and we're going to start off at the very foundation of prayer. We're going to start off with a conversation, a discussion with God on the topic of the heart of prayer. 
the heart of prayer. Listen, think of it this way. Without the heart, without our hearts, our physical lives would cease. Without the heart functioning correctly, our bodies would begin to decay because there's not sufficient blood flow. There's not enough oxygen flowing through the body. My point with that is simply this, that without an understanding of prayer and the incorporation of prayer into our lives on a consistent basis, our lives as Christians will also cease to exist eventually. They will diminish. We will be weakened. We will falter at some point. Now, when you hear the word prayer, I'd like you to consider just right where you are, just think about this. What words, what feelings, what images come to mind for you? What, what, what does that stir up for you? You know, I've gone through a range of them. Maybe you can identify with some of the, you know, the thoughts, the feelings, the images that uh, have come into my mind at different uh, points of my life. When I was younger, prayer was repetition. It was it was something that we were taught to recite. It was something that we did daily, but we recited a prayer and we incorporated, uh, you know, different trinkets and beads and different rituals to pray. We prayed uh, this prayer and that prayer, and it was just something that we regurgitated. We just repeated it. But the problem is that while we were very, we did very well at repeating it, it meant nothing to us. It, was, it didn't come from a personal place. Can you imagine being in a conversation in a relationship like that with someone? I, I can guarantee you, you wouldn't keep that relationship too long, right? You, you'd see the, 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 the insincerity in it and you'd cut it off quickly. As I got a little bit older in my middle school years, the feelings, the thoughts, the images that came to mind for me when it came to prayer was fear. It was fear because... I always felt bad. You see, I went to that church where you were going to hell for everything. I was on my way to hell for going to the movies. I was on my way for, uh, to hell for hanging out on the corner with my friends. I was on my way to hell because I skipped church one Sunday because my mother couldn't find me while the big yellow van with the red, big, red, big red letters in front of our building was waiting. And I was downstairs in the basement where you threw out the trash hiding. I was going to hell for everything. And so when it came to prayer, I was afraid. I was afraid of God. And I, I approached God with fear. As I approached my earlier years in manhood, it, uh, it was a combination of the words, uh, waste of time. Uh, it, was, it was also, help me please. You see, by that point in my life, I'd, I'd, I'd left the church. But thank God God had not left me. But here was the problem for me. I didn't know that. And so it just became something where I cried out to God when I found myself in trouble. And as I started out later on in my young adulthood years to come back to church, attending church, and seeking God for myself, there were different words and different emotions and different responses that came to mind for me when it came to prayer. It was a combination of a couple of things like, God, can you hear me? Do you hear me? It was, man, this whole prayer thing is hard work. You know, I don't know how to do this. I don't do it like they do. It was, I don't know how. 
And look, I'm going to admit it. Yep. It was also, this is boring. A, a mixed range of experiences and responses. But you see, today prayer is a different experience for me, and I believe that prayer can be a different experience for each and every one of us if we would just dig into God's Word and understand the value, the power, and the reality of what prayer really is. And so I want us to turn to Matthew 21, and we're going to start at verse 12. We're going to read just a few verses, but this is a moment where Jesus addressed the heart of prayer. He dug to the core of it. And it starts off by saying in verse 12 of Matthew 21, it says, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. And so here in what we see is a side of Jesus that we often don't pay attention to. Some of us might, might say, you know, this, this view of Jesus, this moment in Jesus' life, these actions, they, they conflict with my understanding of Jesus. I mean, after all, I thought Jesus is good and loving and merciful, but here's the thing, Jesus was acting out of his goodness, love, and mercy because the people were heading toward a fall that they would never recover from unless he intervened to such an extreme extent. You see, the background here is that this was the week leading up to the Passover feast. And this was also a time where Jerusalem was full of pilgrims and, 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 and Jews and worshipers from afar who came during this time to observe what we would call today Holy Week, to observe all these feasts and to, to buy and, 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 and bring their sacrifices and their offerings and to offer up prayers and to uh, engage in the act of what appeared to be worship. Think of it like Easter and Christmas. Everybody goes to church on Easter and Christmas, right? I mean, we just got to get there, right? At least that's, 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 that was my experience growing up. But there was also something else that was happening. See, Jesus was about to be crucified less than a week after this moment, about a week after this. And so Jesus had a sense of urgency. And right before this moment, Jesus had just entered Jerusalem, and the people saw him riding on a donkey, and what they didn't realize was that it was the fulfillment of a prophecy that the king was, had come. And so the people began to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then Jesus gets off this colt, and he steps into the temple. And when he walks into the temple, he sees what's going on. And the scripture, as we just read, tells us that he began to flip the tables. And we have to question why. Was it because he was angry? Was it because he lost control? Was it because he had a lapse in judgment and he wasn't thinking in the moment? And to really dig to the core of this and understand what was happening here, we have to see what the scriptures are actually saying. And so what I want to do is I want to read to you, according to the Greek, the original language, 
what Jesus was saying when he said, My house shall be named a house of prayer, but you, have, you are making it a den of robbers. So I'm going to read it to you according to the Greek, in English, of course. And here's what Jesus was actually saying. The place that I inhabit, the home that I live in, shall be known as a place that I inhabit that is set apart to address God and to worship him only. But you have made it a secret cave where plunderers and thieves hide. Now, I get it. At first glance, it appears that Jesus was upset at the people referred to as money changers. Let me tell you a little bit about these money changers. These money changers were people who were taking advantage of the season that they were in. You see, it was, it was the, the height of religiosity. Everybody was coming to the temple. Everybody had to bring some sort of offering, some sacrifice. Everybody was there to offer prayers and offerings, and to worship. And these money changers knew that. And so here's what they knew. People are going to need some doves. They're going to need some animals to sacrifice. So, man, let's get, let's get as many animals that we can. Let's raise up the price. After all, we've got the supply and you've got the demand. But, you know, if you want it, you've got to pay a little bit extra. And so it would appear that Jesus flipped the tables because he was upset at what they were doing. But the reality is that Jesus was doing so much more when he flipped these tables. He did, he not, not only did he flip the tables this day, he flipped the entire script on everyone in the temple. Because almost everyone that was there was there for the wrong reason. They were there for the wrong reason. Listen, prayer is more than the act of religious duty and directing the words and supplications that we, 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 we uh, uh, somehow feel we, we are obligated to give to God. Prayer is a house, is what Jesus said. It's a shelter. It's an abode where you and God meet because he's there. I want you to consider the words of Jesus. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer. And, and, and some of us might go, well, he's talking about the church building, right? The temple, that's what he was referring to. No, 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 no. Let me remind you what Jesus said in John 15. Jesus said that you abide in me and I abide in you, that we might be one as I and the Father are one. See, prayer is more than just words. It's more than just religious activity. Prayer is the open door to the beginning of a real and vibrant relationship with God. Amen? And so the money changers... I want you to consider this. They were making the house, their house, about profit and selfish gain. It wasn't just what they were doing in the temple. 
It's what was operating in the heart within them. And look, the people of Israel were no better. The people there, Jesus, this is what Jesus said about them. He quoted the Old Testament. He says that these are a people uh, who worship God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. And so the reality is that many of the people that were there were there out of religious obligation. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what the law calls for. This is what I was dragged here for. And while thousands of people were offering sacrifices, here's the reality. Few were there to worship God. See, the house of God and the hearts of these people had become a secret place for plundering and stealing from God the one thing that he desires. Listen closely. Intimate and real relationship with us. With us. I want you to think about this. I want you to really think about this. You know, we often think of relationship with God through the things that we offer as a sign of worship. I'll give you some examples. Songs we sing. Prayers. Praises. Offerings. Religious things that we do. Religious activity that we engage in. Anything under the banner of religion or love for God. But you know, worship is so much more than that. I'm not saying that these things aren't a part of worship. But worship is something that happens in the heart before it ever happens with our actions. Worship is simply prioritizing relationship with God above everything else in our lives. And one of the best ways to prioritize relationship with God is to prior, prioritize time with God in the act, in the act of worship through prayer. You know what prayer does when we get serious about it? It focuses our attention. It stills our heart. It centers uh, our, our, our time. And what what we fail to realize when it comes to prayer is that it's something that has the possibility and the op it provides us the opportunity to come near to God. Now, for some of us, and hey, I'm not knocking you if that's where you are, but prayer sounds more like a therapy session. God, this is going on in my life, and God, this happened, and God, my son, and God, this boss, and God, these things, and God, these needs. And if you're anything like I've been, the reality is that sometimes when you pray, your mind drifts. You really want to gauge where your heart is when you take time to pray. The next time you even attempt to pray, pay careful attention to where your mind goes while you're praying. You may start off by saying, God, thank you for this day, and then find yourself thinking about bills. 
Now, check this out. Where your mind goes, where your attention goes, as you engage in conversation with God, tells you what you're in relationship with. It tells us where our focus is. It tells us where our heart is. And I would submit to you that if you desire a rich experience in your times of prayer, if you want the type of prayer that the scripture says that, that our prayers, the prayers of the righteous, are effective, that they are powerful, if you want to pray that way, then we have to start with the foundation of this all. We must realize that we cannot truly pray without a genuine desire to first be in relationship with God from the heart. It is time to flip the tables in our lives. Now, for some of you, you, you thought what I just thought. He's about to flip that table. And it crossed my mind. I said, no, I don't want to burn nobody with this tea. But I want, you to, I, want to, I want to share some things with you about this heart of prayer. Some things that I think can, can stir up our faith and, and encourage us and help us dig to the core of getting back to the heart of worship, of prayer, of relationship with God. The first thing I want to say to you is that prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. Prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. You know what a monologue is? <clears throat> me, 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 me. God, let me just tell you where I'm at. And God, let me just tell you what I'm feeling. God, let me just tell you what I need. And God, let me just dump on you. That's a monologue. You know, there's a difference between talking to someone or talking at someone and talking with someone. Very different. Some of us, we talk to God. Maybe we talk at God, right? But we don't talk with God. Let me ask you, is your prayer life characterized by a monologue or a dialogue? You know what the difference is? A monologue is a performance. A dialogue is a relationship. Very different. A monologue is strictly for the purpose of having an audience listen to you. In this case, God, you're my audience, and you just listen. A dialogue, on the other hand, is based on relationship. It's communication. It's give and take. It's interaction. It's intimacy in action. Have you ever thought that maybe God wants to talk to you too in your times of prayer? Listen to Hosea 6, 6. It says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And I want you to get the heart of what Jesus is what God is addressing here unto the people of Israel which also identifies us, it speaks to us because we are God's people too. Listen to what God is after. He says, man, I just, I just want love between us. I want interaction. I want engagement. I want relationship 
between us, more than the things you think you have to do to be right with me, more than the behaviors that you're trying to change on your own instead of letting me work in you and teach you and show you, more than the, the, the religious things that you do that make you feel good but bring you no closer to me. See, God is not after our religious adherence. He's not even after our prayers. Think about this. God simply wants to hear from you and be heard by you. He wants to interact. He wants to be intimate. He wants to be close and personal. You know, I remember a time, I think I've shared this at some point here. I remember a time many, many years ago. We were on one of those trips that felt like hell. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why it felt like hell to me, because I hate driving to Florida. And my wife, we, we used to drive 21 hours, pack up sandwiches and all that. Hey, listen, times were hard on the boulevard, all right? And so we used to pack up the car, pack up uh, an ice box and put sandwiches in them, and we would just drive and stop to go to uh, get gas and use the restroom. And you know what? If you needed to go to the restroom and we had just got gas, oh, well, so sorry. Hold it. Do what you got to do. Just don't do it in the car. So we were on one of those trips, and as we're driving, me and my wife, we happened to get into a disagreement. Right? It was one of those heated disagreements. So we're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and, you know, me and my big mouth, you know, Peter had nothing on me. I stuck my foot in my mouth and I said some things I should have never said. And so now we're driving in silence for a few hours. And I'm just like talking at God about how bad I am, about how much of a mess up I am, about... How, how could I even be a man of God? How can I even be your son? And how, how is it that God, and I'm just talking at God and talking to him about how sorry I felt for myself. And all of a sudden, two portions of scripture just popped into my mind after I had done all my talking at God. I was still wallowing in my, in my, my self-pity party. And one of the scriptures was where God reminded me that I am the righteousness of God, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not in Jose, not in Alan, not in, in, in Barbara, not in Danny, not in Annette, not in anybody else. In Christ. In other words, what's true of Christ is true of you. And then another portion of scripture dawned on me shortly thereafter, and I was thinking about the first one, and all of a sudden I get this thought where, I'm reminded that the scripture says that I am above reproach, that I'm acceptable, that I am holy, that I'm chosen of God. And, and, and I said, God, how is that possible? And as I was meditating on that scripture, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, you please me. You have no idea what came out my mouth. And I said, what? I please you. God, I, I please you? But, Lord, you just saw 
everything that happened. You, you heard the way I addressed my mother. You heard how, you saw how I reacted. How, how is it that I please you? And it was in that moment that God was speaking to me through his word. And the Holy Spirit was reminding me of the words of the Father and showing me a truth. You may have acted like you're not my son, but that doesn't change the fact that you are my son, that you are my daughter. See, I was busy talking at God instead of talking with God. And I wasn't taking the time to listen or even consider what he might say. Now listen, I know that for some of us, you know, we just hear God. Cool. But let me just give you a fact from Scripture. If what you hear contradicts what's in the Word, it's not God. It can't be God. And I'm going to tell you why it can't be God. Because it is not aligned with the truth that He gave us through His Word. So I'm going to tell you why I share that. I'm going to tell you why I share that. Because you, I, I, know, I know some of you thought, man, I wish God spoke to me like that. He does. He does. But for some of us, we are more attuned to the voice of God because we're more in tune with the Word of God. See, the more distant you are from the Word of God, the more distant you are from hearing what God is saying. It's not that you're far from God. It's just that you've distanced yourself to such an extent in your understanding that God is speaking, but you can't understand the language because his word is the deciphering tool by which we hear God and we know God. That was good. Man, I needed, I needed that. The next point I want to leave you with here is that if you change the way you look to God in prayer... The things you look at will change. I need you to, if you're taking notes, write that down, take a picture, do whatever you got to do. If you're online, snapshot it, I don't care, whatever. You need to go back and meditate on these things, but more importantly, go to the scriptures, go to the word. If you change the way you look to God in prayer, the way you approach God in prayer, the things you look at will change. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt inadequate, at a loss for words when speaking to God? Have you ever found yourself going through repetitious phrases, maybe even changing the intonation of your voice? You know, maybe just using words that you typically wouldn't use, like, Heavenly Father, Thou art worthy of all praise. I honoreth you. Right? You ever find yourself there? Look, I've been there. I thought that was like, like prayer 2.0 at one time. But listen, if this is or it has been your experience, and I assure you I've been there too, here's what you realize. It doesn't bring you any closer to God. It doesn't create relationship with God. It doesn't draw you near to God. Because after all, we're performing. We're performing in that moment. And so we, we, in order to really dig into this heart of prayer and, and, and change our view of God when we approach him in prayer so that the things that we look at in life will change, we have to consider the words of Jesus. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. This is not Jose. This is Jesus. 
He says, this then is how you should what? Pray. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say this is what you should pray. He did not say this is what you should pray. He said this is how you should pray. It's a model. It's an example to follow, not a prescription to take. Right? When I was a kid, I was told, no, this is what you're supposed to pray. And we prayed that till we were blue in the face. I can still recite it for you. The whole, backwards and forwards, Spanish and English. Right? I'm not going to do that. But you see, we really got to understand what Jesus was doing here when he prayed in this manner because it was radical. Jews until this very day and back then believed that God is so holy that you can't even whisper his name. Additionally, they dared not refer to God as their father because they, were, they believed that they were so unworthy, so unqualified, so wretched that they could not address God as their father. Instead, they saw themselves and their claim to, to, to being children of faith was through Abraham, who they referred to as their father of faith. But Abraham was a man, and Abraham was dead. Right? And so when Jesus said, this is how you should pray, and he says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you got to understand that what Jesus literally said in that moment was blasphemy. It was sufficient according to the law to kill him because after all by referring to God as his father here's what he was saying I am directly his son so why is that important why should we think about that I mean after look they, they wanted to kill him because of this let me ask you this when you approach God in prayer is it, as, is it as if he's your father? Do you even view God as your father? Do you depend on God as your father? Do you trust God as your father? Do you talk to God as your true father? And, and, and I bring that up because, you know, for some of us, we got daddy issues. And when we think about God the Father, we don't think about God the Father. We think about God as the Godfather. If you get my drift. We equate our experiences with our earthly fathers or earthly father figures and their failures and their shortcomings and then... We try to approach God, and, we, and no wonder we run away from God. Who wouldn't? But no, see, God is not anywhere near your earthly father. God is our father. The incorruptible, unblemished, holy, pure, loving, almighty father. See, your view of God impacts your approach in prayer. 
And notice that Jesus didn't just call God his father. He dared to ask for everything that was the father's. He said, our father who is in heaven, hallowed, glorified, magnified, worshipped be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was asking. He was modeling to every one of us. He was saying, ask daddy for what's his. Because it is his pleasure and his will to provide it. Let me ask you a question. Do your prayers match the size of your God? Do you even believe that big? Do you dare to ask, Lord, let it be according to your kingdom's ways? Now, I know for some of us, we get real pious when we hear that. Oh, Father, your will be done. We become so lowly and we forget how high we are seated in heavenly places. We turn away the hand of God. I'm telling you right now, pray bold prayers. Pray big prayers. But let me give you a key to praying correctly. Pray according to what the word declares. Because those prayers are powerful. We'll dig into that another time. So listen to what 1 John verse, uh, chapter 3 starting at verse 1 says. I'm just going to read the first half of verse 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Listen, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Listen, God is unlike any other father. Why? Because the scripture tells us that our father lavished upon us his great love before we could even think, before we even thought of him. Mothers, you might be able to relate to this. Fathers, maybe you can relate to this too. The moment you found out your child is on the way, you loved that child with an eternal love. You made up your mind, I will do whatever I have to do to care for you, to nourish you, to love you. And I know some of us, we jacked that up along the way. I get it. But I want you to consider that that, that pure intent is one that God maintains and carries through the rest of our lives. And, you know, sometimes we miss our father, not because he's absent, but because we miss the opportunities to be devoted to prayer. Daughter of God, son of God, the scripture says that is what we are. And our Father lavishes upon us his great love. We need to shift from calling ourselves believers, but stopping ourselves short at the point of being receivers. Receive God as your Father. Let him heal your heart. Let him show you the truth and lead you according to his ways. He will not fail you. You know, for some of us, the reason why we don't pray is because we feel like God failed. No, we just didn't wait. The last point I want to leave you with here is this. It's that if you give God 
your attention in prayer, he'll always exceed your expectation. I want you to think about that. If you give God your attention in prayer, your attention, he will always exceed your expectation. You know, thousands of people were in the temple of worship on this day to present sacrifices, to pray, but their sacrifices and prayers weren't sacrifices and prayer at all. You see, the sacrifices and prayers of the people had become their attempt to appease God, to avert what they perceived to be God's anger. They were there for religion. They were there to buy their forgiveness. After all, hey, if I just give these two turtle doves, I'll be forgiven of all those things that happened this prior year. If I sacrifice this lamb, I'll be declared clean before God. They were there to give for blessing, which is no gift at all. In essence, they were there to use God. See, it wasn't relational. It was transactional. And so what did Jesus do? He flipped the script on them. And everything that they came there for, they received not any of it. But the scripture reveals something to us. That after flipping the tables, we see another group of people enter the temple. The scriptures say that the lame and the blind entered the temple. Now, you got to get this. They did not belong there. They did not belong there. In this day and age, if you were lame or sick or ill in any manner that could be seen or noticed, you were born with some sort of defective malady in your body, there was two train of thoughts. Either you committed some grave sin and God, yeah, he did that to you, or your parents committed some grave sin and as a result, you bore the brunt of it. In either case, if you were lame or blind, you stood outside the temple. In those times, from a societal standpoint, they were unclean outcasts, cursed by God. And they were left to beg mercy of those entering the temple who were deemed more worthy and blessed and qualified to draw near to God. And for this reason, Jesus not only flipped the tables, listen, he kicked the doors of the temple off the hinges when he made this statement. Why? Because it was at that moment that people entered in that had nothing to offer according to what the law said. But they came seeking Jesus. And on that day, they received their healing. Can I, can I just encourage you as we stand and come to a close today? That some of you don't realize this, but your breakthrough doesn't lie in the things you do for God. Your breakthrough 
lies when you get back to the heart of prayer. God, I just want you. I want to know you. I want to understand your nature, your character, your ways. God, I want to follow you wherever you go. I want to live according to your word. Listen, the pressure is off. You don't have to put an act for God. He sees your heart. He knows you in the most intimate place, and it is there that he says, let's, let's relate. Let's talk. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but you've been praying some prayers. And right here, right now in this service, you're getting a response. I want you to listen to this. If I could just summarize this. I feel like God is saying to us, I just want you. You and me. anybody in this house today that says, man, that's what I want to. I just want relationship with you. Not religion. I don't want the fake stuff. What's the point of going to church? What's the point of reading your word? What's the point of praying if it's not for the purpose of relationship with God? Then what's it for? It's empty. It's worthless. And you know, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be proper. You don't have to change the intonation of your voice. I want to encourage you. With Philippians chapter 4 as we close. And I'm, I'm actually just going to read the first half. Verse, the end of verse uh, Five, and I'm going to read verse 6. And here's what it says. It says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. And as a result, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen. So often we focus on that portion, verse 6, where it says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God, and we forget the most important part. The Lord is at hand. He's right there in your job. He's right there in your hurt. He's right there in your doubt. He's right there in your home. He's right there in your challenges. He's right there in your victories. He's right there, and he's saying, talk to me, and let me talk to you. Lord, today we acknowledge you. Come on, let's raise our hands as we come to a close. Let's take a moment to open our hearts, open our lives, to reach out to God as a sign of our desire, not for anything else but relationship. To know you, God, and be known by you. To talk to you and to hear you. To relate. To be in deep, intimate relationship. Father, today we acknowledge that you are at hand. And because you are at hand, Lord, we know that you always hear our cries. You care for us, Lord. You want us to cast our cares upon you because you're here. But Lord, you don't want to just be 
on the receiving end, Lord. Lord, your nature, your heart is to be the giver, to bless us, to do so much more than what we think we have to do for you. We thank you for that, Lord. We love you. Now, it's very possible there's someone here today, maybe you're joining us online. Maybe you're catching this at another time. And as you're listening to this message, here's what you're reveling in. Here's what you're thinking about. No wonder I never wanted to pray. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know that God wants to hear me, but God also wants to speak to me. Today, as we close out, I want you to consider this reality, this truth, based on what we've just learned today. That the heart of prayer teaches us that God wants an intimate relationship with you. With you. With you. It's an invitation to know Him and to have Him divinely intervene in your life. The lame and the blind, they left healed. Why not leave this day healed and restored and transformed with a vision for life? With the ability to go somewhere different than where you've been. If you believe that today, then here's what I want to encourage you with. That God so loved you that he gave his only son to pay the price for our sin. Not because he owed it to us, but because he loved us so much because he knew that we couldn't pay it ourselves. That's a good God. That's a loving God. That's the God that loves you. And so today we invite you to pray this prayer with us as we close. Say this with this congregation. Let's pray this in support of one another. Say, Jesus, I believe you love me and you want a relationship with me. Today I declare that I love you back, that I want you more than anything, that I desire personal relationship with you. Today I declare, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you are my God, and from this day forward, I will follow you, and I thank you for a new life. Come on now, if you pray that, we are celebrating God working in your life. Don't leave this house, don't leave the chat room without letting us know about your decision. We want to walk alongside you. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.